Good morning, Maple Grove. Awesome. Hey, I just want to say that campus ministries are important. And as our son is a freshman at Virginia Tech and knowing that he has a campus ministry down there is a huge relief to me. Uh, knowing that I know he's carpooling to church today. I know he goes to worship on Thursday night. I, I know he hangs out with the campus there. Uh, great people serving them. So uh, I always knew it was important, but now I know, hey, this is really important. And so um, be sure to donate heavily and, and be sure to send snacks down because college kids like snacks. Hit that QR code and, and send some snacks down to them. I know they'll appreciate it and just know it's making a difference. Um, we already heard one story and the difference that it made, right? Good stuff. Hey, I, I want to begin by reading a few words from the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus' manifesto about uh, what life in his kingdom is supposed to look like. And he, he starts off that uh, manifesto with something we know as the Beatitudes. You know, eight powerful declarations about who it is that's blessed as they live in this broken and fallen world. He says, blessed are the poor in. Blessed are the poor in. Okay. When I pause, that's when you jump in. Let's, let's rewind that, right? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for. Blessed are the pure in. Good job. <laughs> or spirit. Okay, we'll take it. We'll take it. And, and, and his final beatitude, I think, is probably the least favorite of all of them. It's the one that makes us scratch our heads. That can't be right. Uh, this can't be the path to happiness and contentment, right? Here's what he says. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Someone say rejoice and be glad. Because great is the reward in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, let's pray together and uh, let's pray palms open, symbolic that you're ready to receive from God. Even if it's going to be uncomfortable. Heavenly Father, we come humbly to your presence. I pray that your word will come with power. I pray that I in no uh, way get in the way of what you want to accomplish. I pray that your word accomplishes everything you desire. I, I pray for open ears, open hearts, and willing spirits to receive this, God. And because if we do, if we embrace what you have for us today, it will make a difference where many people will spend forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's do this, church. And now for the last several weeks in our verse-by-verse -verse study of the, of the gospel of Matthew, the king and his kingdom, we've been doing a, a deep dive into Matthew chapter 10, Jesus' mission discourse. Now, a chapter that I'm beginning to see is one of the most crucial and most important chapters in the entire New Testament. That is, if the mission of Jesus is important to the Christian and to his church. Understand, this chapter is full of great stuff, important stuff, convicting stuff, challenging stuff, encouraging stuff, scary stuff, and where people will spend forever stuff. Now, Matthew 10 is where uh, Jesus calls his disciples, 12 ordinary guys who've been with him for about a year, and says, hey, I, I, I'm glad that you know me. Uh, now it's time to be an apostle and for you to go out for me. Because it's not just about 
knowing me. It's about making me known. I understand. Knowing Jesus is not even close to enough. We must make him known. Amen? And before Jesus sends these guys out, he gives them some instructions, some orders, if you will. And, and, and Matthew uses a, a, a very specific word. It's a, it's a powerful word. It's a layered word that he uses. And Matthew uses this word intentionally for the, the word instructions. It's a, a word of military command. Uh, we don't have any other choice but to obey. It's a word of legal obligation. We have no choice but to respond. It's a word of medical prescription. If you want to get well, then you need to do it this way. You need to follow the doctor's orders. And listen, those instructions were for these specific guys for this specific time. There are principles that apply to you and I today when we take the gospel out into our world. And we uncover 10 of those principles. Powerful, it's time to go principles. If you missed any of those conversations, I, I cannot encourage you enough to check them out online because these are orders from your commander. Uh, uh, these are prescriptions for your doctor as you go out in the world and live for him. Listen, Jesus has not called you to simply know him. As awesome, powerful, and as needed as that is, Jesus, your commander, your judge, and your physician has called you and I to make him known. Get it? Get it? Good. Now, probably the two biggest takeaways of the 10, at least for me, were, number one, that when we go out declaring and displaying the kingdom, Jesus said that we can expect both acceptance and rejection. And listen, when we experience rejection, our commander, our judge, and our physician says that we are to do what? We're to wipe the dust off our feet. And, and with that, what Jesus is teaching us there, it's not, hey, forget about you, I'm, I'm done with you. Instead, what Jesus is teaching us is that you know, he doesn't want you and I to carry that rejection with us. We wipe the dust, they don't want it, we don't badger them, we don't nag them, uh, we don't pursue them intently. We wipe the dust off our feet. We don't carry that rejection with us because Jesus does not want their rejection of the message to steal our joy and to steal our, our focus. We leave them in the hands of the righteous judge. Wiping the dust off our feet also means that you know, we're not responsible for results. We're irresponsibly faithful. Amen? Amen? Yeah, we can't determine what people will do. And that implies in all areas of life, right? You know, you know uh, we're not responsible for results. We're only responsible to be faithful. You know, uh, some of you know, because I put it out there on Facebook, you know, I had a massive attack of, of, of depression and darkness on, on um, Friday night. It was, it was pretty bad. Um, and and uh, waves hit me hard. I sent it on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah, I'm, I'm discouraged. I'm really down. I... Uh, I know it'll pass, but right now everything seems kind of hopeless and, and, uh, um, and has nothing to do with my family or my health. It's about ministry. You know, um, ministry's hard, it's difficult, and, and, and when people 
don't always get it and don't always live it, don't always seem to want to hear it, or I get a text saying, hey, we're not going to go to your church anymore or something, you know. I mean, it hurts, it cuts. And so it was bad. And I wept Friday night. I woke up at 3.30 on Saturday morning, sat on the floor, and just wept. I listened to my isolation playlist when I was in COVID. Not know if I was going to live. I made this playlist on Spotify that I listened to. I'd lay in bed with oxygen on me and I'd listen to this playlist. And I, I listened to that. And at 4 a.m. in the morning, I walked up to the church and the sky was beautiful and, and the stars were just shining and I'm worshiping God. And, and uh, people are praying all over the country, even some friends who are, are living in other countries. And, and uh, um, you know, it lifted. It lifted, it got my focus, and, and, and I will tell you this, um, don't be afraid to ask for prayer. You know, don't be afraid to let people know, hey, you know what, I'm depressed and discouraged right now. Because when you feel that way, the enemy wants you to be alone, right? And, and I said, you know what, I need help, and so I, I sent it out there. Boom, hey, will you pray for me? I need it, I need it, you know, and People prayed, and I felt those prayers. And, and, and uh, uh, when you're depressed and discouraged, enemies going to tell you, hey, don't go to church. Don't go to life group. Don't do this. Don't do that. Be by yourself. Because if he has you by yourself, he can really attack you. You know? And, and, and so reach out. And then wor- worship God, right? You know? Just put some good thoughts and good worship in you, and, and God will help you get past it, right? And so... I, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good right now. I know some people could have been freaking out, like, oh, what's going on, you know? Uh, I, I'm just honest usually about how I feel. Like, you know, I, I'm not some, some guy up here who doesn't have issues and problems and sins and stumbles, right? And if I, I'm depressed or I need prayer, I'm like, okay, what kind of pastor asks for prayer? I thought you believed in, yeah, yeah. A smart one, right? <laughs> the one who knows, hey, I, I can't do this. So uh, those who prayed, thank you. Those who didn't, why didn't you? No, kidding, <laughs> Why aren't you my friend on Facebook? But anyhow, um, please kind of learn from my example. You know, uh, life is hard in this world, and we're meant to not do it by ourselves. And if you feel the need for prayer and someone's telling you, well, don't let people know, God doesn't do that, right? That's the enemy telling you, keep it to yourself. Don't let people know that you're struggling. Guess what? We all struggle, right? (laughs) We all got issues, right? We're all messed up. And, and so, um, anyhow, that's a, let's get back to the takeaways. But that's the takeaway, right? We're, I'm responsibly faithful. Like the day, I, I'm going to preach God's word the best I can, asking his spirit to help me. And he's going to send some convicting stuff to us today, like he has the last few weeks about you and I and what we need to do to help people find him. And, and, and I'm going to be faithful to that. I'm not responsible for results. That's on you. That's on me. Because I can preach it and not live it, Right? You know, I know a lot more than I'm actually living out. So, so the second big takeaway is that we're declare and display the kingdom to the lost beginning where we already are. Family, friends, neighbors, classmates, coworkers. A question, I had you do this before, but I'm going to do it again. Raise your hand if where you already are, where you work, where you live, in your neighborhood, in your family, there's someone who's lost and does not know Jesus, Right? I think that's all of us. And if you're not raising your hand, you need to get out more, right? <laughs> or you need to open your eyes where you already are. And are you 
asking God daily which of those people he wants you to share his love with. Here's a quote um, from an atheist. And he shares this story about a time when a guy after one of his events, his comedy events, brought him a Bible. And the guy brought him a Bible and was not pushy about it and really influenced him. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't, I'm going to say evangelize because the other word's hard for me. Don't evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, anybody believe that? And that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that is not really worth telling them this because it might be socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody? Then I proselytize. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Like, how much do you and I have to hate somebody to work beside them, to live near them, to eat a, a family meal with them, and, and know that they could be going to hell and we say nothing? about it. Now, this didn't convert the guy. He said, look, if you really believe it, and I'm sitting across the table from somebody, and I know that if Jesus came back, they're going to spend eternity in hell, and I just keep eating my fried chicken and don't say anything. Do I hate them? Here's something. I saw this sign, not in person, but on someone's Facebook. If the living knew what the dead knew, the whole world would follow Jesus. Listen, there's not one person dead right now that did not choose Jesus that would do anything they could to choose Jesus right now. Every single one. It doesn't matter if they hated Christianity, they worshiped another false god, because they know the truth now, and they would do anything they could to have the chance to choose Jesus, but they can't. And I know, I know, I get it, I feel you. These conversations the last few weeks have been heavy and extremely uncomfortable for us at times. But I'm more than okay with that. Because I would much rather make you and I uncomfortable as we sit on padded chairs in an air-conditioned room for a few hours on a Sunday that for those who we raise our hands for to spend forever being uncomfortable in hell. Get it? Get it? Get it? Good. Because I said last week, if we're not living our lives for the mission of seeking and saving the lost, then we are really nothing more than a Sunday morning, whenever it's convenient, Christ club. That's all we are. Now, this week, I was looking for a book on my shelf. I got a lot of books, and this book kind of like jumped off the shelf. I, I never remember buying this book, never reading this book. It's by a guy named Mark Buchanan. Um, I do remember a book I bought, your, your God is Too Safe, real good book. Uh, this is Your Church is Too Safe. I go like, ah, did I ever read this book? And then I saw the first page. And here's what the first page says. And it's called, your church is too safe. I'm bored. 
as are many people in church. Bored and also apathetic, passive, testy, lonely, disheartened. We're, we're weary and weary and cranky and sad. It's a long list. There's an enormous gap between the life Jesus offered and the life we're living. We feel it. We see it. We sense that whatever Jesus came preaching, this can't be what he had in mind. A room full of people nodding to old platitudes, nodding off to old lullabies, perking up to Jonah-like rants, jumping up to split hairs or break company at the smallest provocation. He can't have dreamed the church gorging itself on feeling good and allergic to self-denial. He can't have hoped for a church that would be more concerned with itself than with the world it inhabits. When Jesus announced the kingdom was at hand, this can't be what he meant. What happened? When do we start making it a priority to be safe instead of dangerous, nice instead of holy, cautious instead of bold, self-absorbed instead of counting everything lost in order to be found in Christ? Ouch! Wow. I never even remember I read that, but that's highlights from 10 years ago. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Here's what I've been trying to say to us, to me, to you, probably to me first, definitely me first, since we began this deep dive into Matthew chapter 10. Which, to be honest, before our verse of our study, I never knew that was a Jesus mission discourse. Like, I'd picked various verses out of that chapter and spoken them before, but never within the context of, here is Jesus' mission discourse to his disciples. Again, what I'm trying to say to us, to me and to you, since we began our deep dive into Matthew 10, and more accurately, I think what God is trying to say to me and through me is that we as individuals and we as a church need a mission reset. We really do. Because many of us, and all of us to at least a degree, have lost our way. And have begun to think that our lives and His church are about us about our needs, about our wants, our desires, our comforts, our little kingdoms. When do we start making it a priority to be safe instead of dangerous, nice instead of holy, cautious instead of bold, self-absorbed instead of counting everything a loss in order to be found in Christ? See, God is telling us in this room, hey, I want you to go to the loss where you already are. People in your family, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, all right? And I know it's heavy. I mean, we like to hear, hey, here's three steps to a happy marriage, right? You know, and that's great. Not, nothing wrong with that, but this is our mission. And in light of that, right, um, I know on October 15th, our next mission meal, um, we're going to have something I, I, I've decided to call Invitation Sunday, okay? Um, and and uh, it's an outside barbecue, lots of fun, you know, games and stuff. And uh, it's, it, we have these invite cards you can pick up in the back that you invite people to the church. And I, I want everybody to just pray, hey, who do you know? I'm not asking you to invite someone who goes to another church and maybe they'll like our church better, <laughs> you know, uh, because that, that's nonsense, right? Uh, but hey, who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? Who do you know that's broken and hurting? Uh, that would benefit, right? And then what we're going to do, uh, I'm going to kick off, we're going to jump out of our Matthew series for just four weeks, 
And beginning on that Sunday, you know, um, we're going to have a sermon series called this. You know, um, greater than four conversations about the grace of God. Okay? And so I want you to begin thinking about, hey, who can I invite? An easy invite, right? Hey, our church is having an outdoor barbecue. Invite a friend day. Invite Sunday. You know, there'll be, you know, cornhole, whatever, you know. And you want to come. And they'll come, and we're going to, they're going to hear something maybe about the grace of God that they never understood before. And hopefully that draws them in that week. And then after those four weeks, we'll jump back into our study. Okay? But I, I want to give you guys an easy, easier invite. Right? Hey, our church is doing this. And Steve said he'll give us gold stickers and a lollipop. Right? You know, you know, you know whoever bites people gets to wear a sticker. Here's a lollipop. Whatever. You know, whatever you know, helps you out there. Um, um, but, you know, so there's an invite. So be thinking about that. And, 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 and just think right now. There could be someone right now that you know that doesn't know Jesus that you invite them and they come to church, hear about the grace of God, and they they will someday have the condo right next to you in heaven (laughs) because you did this, right? You know, so I just want to encourage every one of us, myself included, you know, you know, you know the old adage, you know, you, you know, that I can't remember how to say it. <laughs> it's that adage in baseball, like, every time you don't swing, you know. You miss 100% of the shots. Say it, say it again. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, sir. That's why I got, I got what he said. Right? Right? So, and guess what? If you don't invite anybody, no one's coming. Right, George? Right. There you go. All right. Bring it. All right. All right. Thank you, George. All right. Let's jump into our, our, our text for the, this morning. Jesus says, Behold, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Uh, not a great recruitment statement, right? Motto. And why does he say that to them? Because it's true. Because he wants to remember, hey, despite the power I'm giving you to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead, I want you to know that that you are still defenseless, directionless, clueless sheep who will always need their shepherd. And and who who are the wolves that Jesus is warning us about? The wolves are people. He says, be on your guard against Man, all men will hate you because of my name, because of who I am, because of what I'm about. Yeah, Paul says that, yeah, it's true that Paul says in Ephesians 6 that our, our battle is against spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, against Satan and his demons. But remember, as I said last week, Satan promotes and expands his kingdom the same way Jesus does through people. The people who have made both him and evil their Lord. Understand throughout the centuries it has been people who have beaten, arrested, crucified, burned at the stake, beheaded, and stoned Jesus followers as they live godly lives and preach the gospel. In Matthew 10 we saw last week Jesus identifies for us the three primary wolves that are seeking to devour us. We have the religious. We have 
those who believe differently than we do. And not just religious that meet in buildings, but also the religious in our culture who have made different philosophies and ideologies their God. Persecution by the government. Persecution by family members. Jesus says, hey, expect persecution from people. Uh, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, some encouraging words to us. He says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus will be what? Persecuted. And if we don't want to be persecuted, one of the ways we can do is if we don't live what? Hey, we don't live a godly life. If we adopt the values of the world, if we live just like they do, they're not going to persecute us as much. If we agree with them what is right and what is wrong, what is sin and what is not sin, we can sometimes escape persecution. I like how Jesus is so honest, right? He doesn't tell, hey, follow me and your life will be all puppies and butterflies, sunshine and rainbows. He says it's not going to be a walk in the park. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. People are going to hate you. They're going to hurt you. And then the rest of Matthew 10, he tells us how we are to respond to this opposition and persecution. He says, therefore, be wise as serpents. And, and you can this list right here. We're not talking about all of them today. Be wise as serpents. Be innocent as, a, as doves. Be a witness. Be not anxious. Be confident. Be like Jesus. Be fearless. Be bold. Be committed. What we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about being shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. What does that even mean? Believe what I tell you. I, you may not believe me after you hear all I have to share, right? Like, that's it? All you got? <laughs> I spent literally hours and hours studying it reading and reflecting about what does it mean? And I'm going to share with you the best I got right now. <laughs> you know, I, I had someone in our prayer group say, hey, you don't have to have the whole sentence to share part of the sentence, right? So I'm not saying, this is the end all of what it means. It's like, hey, after intense study and prayer, here's kind of what I think Jesus means. And, and I wanted to understand this because Jesus says, hey, Steve, you're going out among wolves that are going to try to hurt you and destroy you. The way you survive in that is to be as shrewd as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. And, and listen, and when I try to figure out, like, hey, what does it mean to be shrewd as a serpent? What I did not do is go to dictionary.com. <laughs> what does the word shrewd mean? Jesus didn't use the word shrewd. Right? He, he uses a Greek word, phronomos, phronomos, which means to think, to reason, to understand, to have keen mental discernment and cunning. We're to be shrewd as serpents. And I think we kind of missed the object lesson with a serpent because we're kind of taught to fear snakes. At least I, to me, any snake needs to die, right? I don't, I can't tell if they're poisonous or not. Snakes scare me, right? You know, and most of us don't think much about snakes beyond, hey, I don't like a snake. They're freaky and scary, especially when they're swimming on the water. Unlike the Egyptians, if you study hieroglyphics, you see that they would use serpents as, as a symbol of, of, of wisdom. And people actually are studying snakes today. And they're finding out that snakes are much more intelligent than we ever imagined. 
We know, for example, that snakes have an exceptional ability to learn and apply new information. They're great trackers. They are great navigators. They are tremendous defenders of territory. They employ reason and logic to solve problems in order to get their next meal and to survive. How much of that is instinct or cognitive, we don't know. But if we define intelligence as the ability to acquire and apply new, new knowledge, then snakes are very intelligent. And, and perhaps what they are most known for is their capacity for self-preservation. And maybe that's what the Lord had in mind. Hey, your guys are going out like sheep among wolves, so you need to know how to adapt. You need to develop self-preservation skills. You need to be able to think on your feet uh, like a serpent who can perceive danger and then slither on out of there to safety. I mean, just think how good snakes are at surviving. They have no arms, no hands, no feet, no legs, and they do all right. If someone whacked off your arms and feet, tossed you in the backyard, I don't think we'd do so well, would we? And while it's true that the Lord is telling us, hey, you're clueless, directionless, defenseless sheep apart from your shepherd, it's also true that that is not all that we are. Because we're made in God's image and God has put a good brain in us and in Christ he's giving us his word and the presence of his spirit. And listen, if we're going to survive as a sheep among wolves, we need to exercise that wisdom. That's the idea. The imagery of the serpent. Use your brain. Think. Be smart. Be observant. Understand the dangers in your surroundings and act accordingly. And my son is, I looked up every time that, that Matthew used this word, phronomos, in his gospel. I'm thinking, hey, how did Matthew use it? Maybe the way he used it before kind of indicates how he's using it now. He first uses it in Matthew 7, 24, when he says, the wise man, phronomos, builds his house on the rock. He uses it again in, in Matthew 24, verse 45, when he said, hey, you know what, you know, the wise servant, Phronimus, is it will be found doing what his master said he needed to do when the master returns. Whereas the fool will not do what the master says. And when the master returns, he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Where they'll be weeping and gnashing the teeth. He uses it again, this Phronimus, when he's talking about the ten virgins, right? Five were wise, Phronimus, and, and five were fools. Uh, uh, the wise virgins took extra oil with them when they went out to meet the bridegroom. And when they ran, when the, when the bridegroom didn't show up, they had extra oil. Where the ones who were foolish, who did not bring extra oil, when they ran out, they had to go get some oil. While they were gone to the store, Walmart was closed. They went to Target. And, and by the time they got back, the bridegroom had already returned and the door was shut. Sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I never knew you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So, so what's, you see the, the context. And every one of these examples is the context, either danger is here or danger is coming. And the wise, Phronimus, the prudent, are aware, they're observant, and they employ great discernment and minimizing or escaping the danger. Behold, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents. 
Jesus telling his disciples, be wise. Be smart in choosing your battles and sharing the kingdom. Don't be stupid. Don't pick unnecessary fights. Be observant to the dangers around you. That way you will live long enough to have the opportunity to actually share the gospel at the right time. Uh, we see some examples of, of, of being shrewd, being wise, uh, understanding your surroundings and acting accordingly in the life of Jesus. Two examples. John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. He goes, he's like, hey, you know what? These people are wanting to kill me in Judea. I'm going to leave there and I'm going to go somewhere else. He was wise. He understood his surroundings. He was shrewd. Uh, another time is when the Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus and, and, and they said, hey, you're awesome. You're smart. We love you. We listen to all your podcasts. We subscribe to them. We make great comments for you. And, and, and we know you're amazing. Let me ask this question. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar? <laughs> and they're trying to trick him, get him in trouble. And what did Jesus do, right? He goes, oh, okay, wait a second. I see the trap. I see the danger here. He goes, hey, who, whose face is on this? They go, oh, it's Caesar's. He said, well, give this Caesar the things that are Caesar and the God the things that are God. See, that's being shrewd. That's being wise. We see it in the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul was very strategic about how he did ministry. Now, he was bold and eventually got killed for his faith like Jesus and the other apostles. But he was very wise. Here's another example. Acts 14, Paul's in Lystra. He's preaching the gospel. He's having great success. And then we read this in Acts 14. Uh, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. Now, Matthew 10, verse 23, Jesus tells the guys, hey, when you're persecuted in one place, Matthew 10, 23, flee to another city. That's being wise. That's being shrewd. Hey, there's danger here. I'm going to move on to somewhere else. But we also see Paul being shrewd when he went into Athens. He goes to Athens and he, he sees that the, the city is full of idols. Idols are everywhere. They even had an idol because they didn't, just in case we missed the God, <laughs> the altar to the unknown God. So if a guy showed up, he's ticked off, where's my idol? Well, that's yours. Next week, another guy comes up, where's my idol? Oh, that's yours, right? So they just had this unknown guy. He could apply to anybody they wanted. And, and, and when Paul went to speak to them, he didn't say, you know what? You guys with all these gods everywhere and idols, you're just a bunch of idiots. <laughs> Why would you worship so many different things? Do you even know who they are? He doesn't do that. And Instead, so what Paul does is he, he stands up and he says, hey, you know this? Alter, do you have this unknown God? I'd like to tell you who the God really is. And he preaches the message. And he actually quotes their own poet in doing so, being very shrewd. Say, so, hey, I, here's how I need the witness of these people. I'm not coming, hey, you're a bunch of sinners repent. No, he, he came in like that. Another example we see in Paul's life is when Acts 22, Paul's been arrested. The Roman commander, in order to pacify the Jewish mob that was riding at the temple, so say, let's, let's, let's flog Paul. And, and Paul, right as they stretch Paul out, they're getting ready to beat him. 
Paul pulls out the ace he had, was holding in his pocket. He says, question, is it okay to beat a Roman citizen who's not even had a trial? And the king goes, oh, we're in trouble. Instead of being beaten, the Romans actually take Paul to Rome where Paul's the opportunity, the witness for Christ in Rome. Again, that's just being, it's being shrewd. It's being strategic, it's being wise. Be observant to the dangers around you. Don't be stupid. Don't take unnecessary risk. Understand, understand there's things that, that I can say in my work environment that you need to be wise about, right? That you need to be aware of the dangers, right? I, I can say a lot here, right? You know, you know, I have freedom. You may not have that freedom to say everything you want, so be wise, be prudent. And listen, sometimes being bold, thinking I'm going to be bold and, and just come right out there and say these things and say them actually means that you're no longer there to have an opportunity to witness for Christ. Hey, so beware the dangers, right? Beware the dangers that you face. Be shrewd, be wise, be observant, be aware. And I think another danger we need to be aware of is we live in a, a culture that is so anti-biblical. Beware the danger that you could be influenced by that. Beware the danger that you can begin to buy into some of the lies of the world about what is sin and what is not sin. You see, there's really three kinds of Christians. Courageous, Compliant or complicit, right? And we just buy into it. Hey, we're going to be what the world does. Be, you know, if you think you can live in this world and not be influenced by it, you know, man, clue phone's ringing for you, right? Oh, that's okay now. Uh, things have changed, right? So we need to be shrewd, need to be wise. Don't take unnecessary risk. Don't be stupid. Beware of the dangers. Act accordingly. And we'll be innocent of doves. And here again, here's my best understanding as of right now. The word innocent there means pure, unmixed. It's only used two times in the New Testament. Only two times. It's used in Romans 16, 19. Two times besides the one we're looking at in Matthew 10. Where Paul says, I want you to be wise. It's not phronomos. I want you wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Romans 16, 19. It's used in Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Where Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. It's our word for innocent, the Greek word. Chisel of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. We're to be innocent as, as doves. Okay? Unmixed, pure. And, and when there were doves, I, I was like, okay, it's not used a whole lot in the Bible. I'm thinking, I know one time where all these guys were present 
when the dove showed up, right? In Matthew chapter 3, right? When Jesus was baptized, right? What came down? A, a dove. And, and what did God say? This is my son who I'm loved. With him I'm well pleased. Matthew 3, 17. If we want to live godly life, we will be persecuted. So be innocent as doves. Be, and, and here's what I think it means. That this is the best I got right now. Matter of fact, those looking at my notes, there's nothing on my page that he has up there last night. Like I had a blank page. Right? And this morning I go, okay, what is going on here? Here's my best understanding. Be, be unmixed in who you are. Right? This is my son. With him I'm well pleased. Right? Be unmixed in who you are. You are a child of God. Be unmixed in who you are to please. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Right? Uh, be unmixed in how you live your life in a crooked and paraved generation of whom you shine like stars in the universe. Be unmixed. Be true to who you are as a Christian as you live out your life. Don't live differently than what you believe. And then be unmixed about what is evil. And here's the deal. Jesus said, enter defense against those who are bringing forth resistance to the gospel. We're to be wise, we're to be smart, alert, observant, aware of danger. Not to be stupid. Don't take unnecessary risk. Don't pick unnecessary fights. But hear me, we're not to be an easy mark for people either, right? We're not to be naive, naive. And that's the flavor of the original language. You might say it this way, we need the cunning of a snake without the venom. We need to be smart, resourceful, intelligent, able to adapt. And again, we need to be unmixed in who we are. Unmixed in who we're trying to please. Unmixed in how we're to live. Unmixed in what is evil. Behold, I send you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. We're about done. Understand, brothers and sisters, God is sending us into his universe to share the message of his son and his kingdom. Understand, he has given you, you and I the privilege, the unspeakable privilege, to be a part of, to be consumed by his redemptive drama that is so much bigger and so much better than the silly, temporary, and inferior narratives we're all too quick to settle for. Believe me when I tell you, we do not want to get to eternity one day and say, how in the world did I miss being a part of this? How did I miss being a part of this fight? And why did I choose dumb battles and empty pursuits to engage in when I could have fought for the only thing that matters, the only thing that lasts, the only thing that is ultimately beautiful and true and worthy and excellent? In the universe, the glory of God. I, I could have fought the good fight of faith. Brothers and sisters, we still can get in the game. Listen, we only have one life on this side of eternity to get in on this game. 
We read in James this week that we are, our life are but a mist, right? That appears for a little while is gone. And so as your pastor, I'm going to push us, push me, push you off the couch to advance the kingdom. And I'm convinced that when we get swept up into this, we will find it so deeply satisfying that we'll never settle for anything less. Like, why would we go back to the spam, the meat spam, of self-indulgence and living our lives for temporary things when we have eaten the medium-rare, covered-with-mushroom steak of being part of God's renewed the story? Man, guys, well, you get to eternity, and I get to eternity, I want to say, yeah, I am so glad I fought for what matters. I'm so glad I fought for what lasts and for what is eternal. I'm so glad I fought and gave my life, not for my little kingdom that will pass away, but for the kingdom that will endure forever. I'm so glad I fought that the people I know that are lost are now in the condo with me, hanging out the pool, sipping either Coke or Pepsi, right? Are you praying for one? Here's the prayer for one. Lord, give me one person I can share your love with today. I implore you. I'm bringing out the big guns. I, I beseech you. I beseech you, church. And when you start, when a preacher starts beseeching, look out, right? <laughs> I messed up. I own it. If you do this every day, I do this every day, it changes, right? Like, case in point, I'm praying this one thing, and it's yesterday about, I don't know, 4 o'clock, I'm walking to my car, and, and I see a moving truck, and I see someone, a guy in our parking lot. I go, walk over there. Hey, man, how you doing? I go, he goes, I'm Nick. I go, hey, I'm Steve. He goes, are you Pastor Steve? I go, hey, I'm Pastor Steve. Have we ever met? He goes, no, well. Because I, I met with the lady who sells this stuff over there. Oh, she says, hey, you may park here. and Some nice guys are going to come over and say hi to you. That's Pastor Steve, right? You know, uh, but if I wasn't praying for one, it's like, gosh, I'm tired. But I said 4 a.m. But I thought, hey, you know what? Who knows? He's got a big TV too. And I said, dude, you know what? Your house, I was on your porch before you. When they were building that thing, I wanted up to see what your view is like. And your view is really good. You know, I didn't tell him that, please join my church because I want to have a small group on your the fourth floor overlap. I didn't tell them that. You know, but if you pray that every day, right, you're going to be, well, I'm going to the store. Maybe I'm not just there for groceries. I'm going to work. I'm going to class. Maybe I'm not just in that psychology class just to learn, right? Maybe there's someone God put there, right? And if you pray that every day, you, you'll, you'll approach the day differently. And, and then when you know someone, right, you know someone who, who God has put on your heart, the person that you're going to maybe invite to in Invitation Sunday, you know, here's a prayer. Right? Um, I think we have a prayer for that, right? I, I just make this prayer up. You know, you can pray your own, but I, I kind of like this. Lord, I pray that you'll give me the wisdom, the opportunity, the courage, and the urgency to know when and what to say so that Paul will come to know your love and surrender to you as their Lord and Savior. In your name, in your name amen. You know, and I'll tell you what, if we want to see God move in our church, this is how it's, he's going to move under church.
Amen? Hey, I love you guys. Thanks for putting up with me. Uh, 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 every week we do communion. We're going to sing this song here, and I just pray you, you listen to the words about being available because God does want to use you where you already are. Um, our communion stations are off to the side. You can grab that if you haven't grabbed your communion already. Hey, that's where we, we collect our offering. Um, our devotion for the day talked about that we can either worship wealth or use our wealth to worship God. It's like, all right, you know, how does your giving show how much you're worshiping God, right? And I always say that if you spend more money on lunch on Sunday than you give to the church, that's probably, uh, I hit the pause button there, right? You know, and, and think about, hey, how am I showing God how much I value him? So if you guys would stand, I'm going to pray us into this song. Father God, we love you. And God, help us. We are messed up. We're finite. God, we get fired up. <laughs> And then we get discouraged. We get up, then we get down. The Holy Spirit, just move on us. Give us a single-minded focus to love those people in our lives that you love, that your son died for. God, help your mission to bring lost people to a saving knowledge of you. Help that to consume us. So that when we get to heaven, we'll know that we didn't miss out on the opportunity of a lifetime to join you, the King of glory, in his redemptive story. May we be available to you this week, today, in Jesus' name. Amen.